standing today because I have notes, and if I have notes, that means we have a lot of information to cover. So I didn't put anything up on the wall, but what we are talking about today is the Sabbath and what it means, what it means in the Bible, what it means for us today, and this is why. So Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Lent is a 40-day fasting, praying, repentance time period in the Christian liturgical calendar before Easter. So as we sit in the death of Jesus in his crucifixion on Good Friday, resurrection event on, on Sunday, the church has formed this tradition over time of what Lent is and what Ash Wednesday is. So this year, I've just felt directed from the Lord, we're going to pause in a f- multiple times this year and look at the Jewish feasts. So God gives us traditions. He gives us things that we're supposed to remember, but it's not just for tradition's sake. He's telling us there is a time, there is a place, there is a subject matter that I want you to remember on a recurring basis. So when we sit in the Sabbath day, this is the first of the Lord's feasts. So we're going to deal with the Sabbath today, just choosing today because it's, you know, at a time of a cultural thing with, uh, with uh, Ash Wednesday and Lent that's coming into the church calendar. But we'll sit in the, the spring feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits. We'll sit in the fall feast in October. We'll also go through the book of Esther for Purim. And right before Christmas, we'll focus in on Hanukkah. So all of these are biblical feasts that are part of the Jewish culture that there is, we have things today in our Christian culture as followers of Jesus Christ that we can learn from. So what I want you to do, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 lists out all of these feasts for us in order. Leviticus 23 verse 1 begins, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts, and I want you to hold on to that word feasts, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim, announce, to be holy. Holy is this dedicated, sanctified, set apart. These feasts are to have its special place in the nation of Israel. These holy convocations. Convocation is the idea of assembly. This morning would be called a convocation. We are assembled as the body of Christ together. These are whose feasts? It says these are my feasts. And God has a purpose in each and every one of these. Today we are just going to deal with the Sabbath feast, which is discussed here in verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings, or the Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. This is what Sabbath means. All it means is an intermission. Scholars really don't know where the word came from in its etymology, but it's always been associated with the seventh day, And it comes with this idea of a regular intermission in life. Six days you work, the seventh day you have an intermission, the next six days you work, the 
next seventh day is another intermission. The whole idea is to have, it comes from a root word that means to repose or to desist or to cease. Uh, It comes with the idea of a celebration. But here in Leviticus 23, we just have this one line of instruction. This is a Sabbath feast. It's one of the Lord's feasts, and this is something that the nation of Israel was to participate in on a weekly basis. So here's the outline of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go and look at the origins and foundation of what is the Sabbath day, why is it important, why is it identified as the Lord's feast. We're going to look at its implication in the nation of Israel, mainly just through the book of Exodus. And then, of course, we're going to look at what does Jesus and the New Testament have to say in regards to our participation as believers in Jesus. What does this look like for us today? And I'm going to give this distinction right now. The Jewish Sabbath is part of the Old Testament's law. It is not something that we, as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, this isn't a a law that we abide in. We look to Jesus as the fulfillment of all of the law, and we'll get into this discussion this morning. All right, so turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I am going to give you a ton of information, so I'd encourage you to take notes. We are going to skip along the surface on a lot of passages But in this, we're going to get into, again, the foundation of what the Sabbath is all about, why God commanded the nation of Israel to participate in this weekly Sabbath, and then what it means for us. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we have the Almighty God who is eternal in his existence, uncreated, all-powerful, outside of time, outside of creation. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness, note that, was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here in this initial line, it's the idea that God created this three-dimensional space in which we live. The heights of heaven, the breadth and width of the world that we live in. And then in the third verse here, when he creates light, we get this idea that God created time. This idea that we live in our existence in a sequence of events. These are all important ideas as we talk about The Sabbath. So verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So this is what I want us to press into and just to know and understand. One, God created space and time, this existence in which we live, defining the day, a day, as evening and morning. This is how the Jews reckon a day. So tonight, when the sun goes down, it's roughly about 40 minutes after sunset, when you can see the first few stars in the sky, that is the beginning of tomorrow. That would be the beginning of Monday. The evening is the beginning of the day, and the morning is the conclusion of the day, because that's how God established it, and that's what God said here in Genesis. So God, when he created his creation, begins in darkness, 
and then finishes in light. So that's why the day begins in darkness and then finishes in night. Jump down to verse 14. So in God creating this light, this is the electromagnetic spectrum. In verse 14, he creates these physical objects of sources of light. So verse 14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons. We'll come back to that. And for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which would be the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, which is the moon. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth Day. So in God establishing not just creating light, but establishing these luminaries, these sources of lights in the heavens, God says the purpose of these lights, the purpose of the sun, the purpose of the moon, and the purpose of the stars are for signs and for seasons for humanity. The idea with a sign is that there, it's this marker of time. Something has happened. It's something that is recurring or it can be individual, but that's the idea of a sign. So there's these celestial events that some of them are singular. Some of them happen on a recurring basis that there's a time marker for us as God has placed us into this physical creation along the plane of time. But then he says that they're also for seasons. The word for seasons is the word for feasts. So when God lists out his feasts in Leviticus 23, he's saying according to the day, according to the month, according to the year, according to the season, according to the feasts, here are these individual recurring events for you to mark off time in your life. And all of these events, it's not just so that we can have a calendar. Every one of these events has a very specific purpose to declare to us the glory of God, who he is, his nature, his character, and ultimately his works. So in the feasts, we're going to sit in, in all of these um, as we'll go throughout the year, but it gives us the time that we're supposed to meet, the place that we're supposed to meet, the reason that we're supposed to meet, answers all these questions of the who, what, why, when, where, and how. So as you sit in the six days of creation, there's, some, there's a lot of different ways to study out this passage, but in its structure, the first three days, the earth that God has created is barren. It's empty. The second group of three days, God is populating his earth that he has created with life. And it's awesome. You can link the first day, Sunday, and the fourth day, Wednesday, together, which we just did in regards to God created light in its electromagnetic spectrum and all that light is. And then on the fourth day, he created the sources of light and the purpose behind them. Those days are linked. 
On the second day, God is dealing with the heavens and the waters. On the fifth day is when God creates life in the birds of the air in the heavens and fills the oceans and the waters with life. On the sixth day, God is er, the third day. God is dealing with land, and on the sixth day, God is dealing with populating that land with life, which is the creatures of the field, and then ultimately creating man, male and female, in His image. So, in every single one of the six days, there is this structure: God said, God did, God worked, God created. And then when God stands back and looks at his, the product of what he has done, every single one of them has these, this statement that it, God saw it, it was good, it's right, it's perfect, it's according to his order. And the evening and the morning were a specific, specific day. Now we get into the seventh day in chapter 2. It stands all by itself. There is no God said, there is no God created, there is no evening and morning, and it is very specific in what God did on the seventh day, which is what the Sabbath day is all about. It is the seventh day. So chapter 2, verse 1, says, Thus the heavens and the earth... And all the hosts, all the armies, all the, you know, whether it's angels or the, the, the birds, the fish, the animals, the people, all the host of them were finished on the seventh day. God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed, uh, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And at the end there, there's no and in the Hebrew. It's literally all that God created to do, to accomplish. And here's the language. In these few verses, there is a ton of repetition. Three times the seventh day is mentioned. Twice the idea of God finishing and ending his work is mentioned. It's the same word in the Hebrew. This word means to stop, to complete, to accomplish, to end, to exhaust. The primary meaning of this word is to consummate. It has the whole idea of to bring something to completion. So when it says that God's work was finished, that God ended his work, that's the idea that is carrying. Three times it mentions his work. The idea of work in the Hebrew, this is your business, your handiwork, your craftsmanship, your service. So when it's God's work, here is his workmanship. Here is his craftsmanship. Here is what he made is the idea of the word work. Put a note for Psalm 111. There is an awesome verse in there that talks about how awesome and wonderful God's works are and not just creation, but on all of his activities and that they are studied by those who take pleasure in them. This is if, if you love God as your creator, as your savior and all that he is, what we are doing right now, this is a Bible study. We are looking at his works. We are looking at his words. This is something that should bring us pleasure. It ought not to be this burdensome religious experience, which is what our traditions and the Sabbath can do and become. But here we're studying out God's awesome work. So three times it's mentioned. Twice 
in this passage, God resting is, is mentioned. And this is not the idea of God was tired and he's worn out and he needs a siesta, so he took a nap. The word for rest means to cease, to stop, to come to an end. So as we carry on this word rest today, it's not the idea of you're not doing anything and you're just taking a nap. It has, the every, it has the idea with it that what you have been doing in your regular cycle of six days, that you're ceasing that, you're stopping that for a very specific pur- purpose of pressing into your relationship with God. It says that God blessed this day. He also blessed, there's this blessing on the fifth and the sixth day. It's very directly related to life and the idea of procreation. But God is setting apart, he is blessing, he is favoring this day. It says that God sanctified this day. This is the first time that the word sanctification, sanctified, is used in the Bible. The word means to be holy. Holiness is to be, it's this idea of it's removed from common use. It is subject to special treatment. And it is very specifically pressed into the idea of the sanctuary of God. So uh, the idea of the tabernacle, which we'll look at a little bit, the temple, you as the temple of God, as devoted and holy and sanctified and set apart to God. All of these ideas are wrapped into this imagery of what the Sabbath day, the seventh day is all about. And then the last thing to point out, this whole idea that God created seven times in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, we are told that the almighty God created. And here's how it starts feeding into our life. The six days of creation and then the seventh day of rest, that seven-day time period is what makes up a week for us. Everybody got that? Everybody know the system on the keep checking in to make sure you don't fall asleep on any of this. This is a lot of information. But now I want you to think. Weeks do not make up months. And months do not make up years. Thanks for the giggle. Here's why. The system of seven... A month on our calendar is not divisible by seven, except February, but not this year because we have a leap year. So God's timing, his days of creation and rest, his timing, giving us a week of a time period of seven days that we are to mark off in our lives is not associated with the moon. It is also not associated with the sun. When we sit in the signs and the seasons and the times and our calendars, they move. And there's all these adjustments that have to occur because God intentionally made his creation and his cycle of life that he wants us to press into on a weekly basis in our work and in our relationship with him. It's not tied to anything else in his creation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 in verse 19 says, Take heed 
lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the heaven as a heritage. But the Lord, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. We in our culture today, we take a seven-day week as a given. The first ancient culture outside of the Jews to initiate a seven-day week were, were the Babylonians. And it's because the Babylonians worshipped the heavens. And they geeked out on the number seven. So for the Babylonians, their calendar was 28 days, which divides nicely into four sevens. But even there, they had to have an adjustment. We sit in our, the days that we have today. Today is Sunday, which means what? It's the sun's day. Monday is the moon's day. You sit in Tuesday. That is Thor's day. All of our days of the week, it comes out of the Germanic language, but they're associated with these pagan deities and pagan gods. The Babylonian calendar was that way. The Roman calendar was that way. It, the Romans had an eight-day week. There's many cultures that had a 10-day week. And it wasn't until Constantine makes uh, Christianity the, the, official uh, the official religion of Rome that the week becomes seven days. So we inherit our seven days from the Romans and the Romans pressing into inheriting it from God's structure. But what I'm trying to get at is God's timing that he has given to us in regards to this day of rest it's to be this regular recurring thing that is disassociated from anything else in his creation. It is solely associated with him. It is always looking back to him as creator and as source and is in his activities in creation and then giving to us this day that is set apart and unique and all by itself. He calls this day his holy day. He calls it his Sabbath. In this, uh, I mentioned in, uh, in regards to this seventh day, there's no God said. There is no evening and morning structure. And this, this is huge. The seventh day, this day of rest, was to never end. It was to be a perpetual rest in God's creation in relationship with him. You don't see the word labor and toil and the sweat of Adam's face until sin. Sin is what broke this perpetual rest. And in that, in that imagery, you watch in Adam and then in humanity, you watch this whole idea of unrest in our labor. You know what it's like to not have rest in your soul. This has nothing to do with your physical weariness. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But the emphasis is your relationship with your creator and your circumstances in life. Is he your creator? Is he your savior? Yes or no. And not just in creator. In Deuteronomy 5, God tells the nation of Israel, he says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
and that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And in this verse, it's you were a slave. And God saved you out of your slavery. He redeemed you out of your slavery. And there's this therefore statement. Therefore, you will remember his Sabbath. So the Sabbath day is, it's, it's twofold. It's to look to our creator as our creator. And it's to look to him also as our redeemer. And that imagery, every time you see this word Sabbath and every time you see this word feast... Old Testament and New Testament. These are the major ideas that the word and that the feast is to have an implication in our lives and in our soul. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. As you're making your way to Exodus 16... I'm going to read Exodus 5... Verses 4 and 5 says, the king of Egypt, he's talking to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work, from their unrest? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you are making them rest from their labor. This imagery of the Jews and their slavery, there was no work week. There was no day off. There was no rest. There was no Sabbath. The Jews are underneath this bondage where they are crying out to their creator to redeem them and to save them. So the earlier chapters of Exodus, that's what we witness and that's what we watch. The Sabbath in Exodus 16, this is the first time the word shows up in the Bible. So we see the seventh day imagery associated with creation. But this whole, this whole idea for what the Sabbath day was for the Jews is very specific to the nation of Israel. Verse 22 of chapter 16 of Exodus says, so it was... On the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread. This is the manna. We were just here as we were going through the Lord's Prayer, praying for our daily bread and the imagery of manna. Jesus is our bread from heaven. So on the sixth day, collect twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath Rest. This is this intermission rest. One word in, uh, in the Hebrew, very specific that we see repetitiously in the Old Testament. It is a holy, a sanctified, a devoted Sabbath intermission. It's to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. This is the sixth day he's talking about. And boil what you will boil and then lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. And this is what, is, uh, what was told before, that they were to go out every single day and collect the bread daily in that daily relationship, that daily faith, that daily trust in the Lord. If they attempted to gather more than the daily's need, whatever was left over, it stunk, it decayed because it's preaching and speaking to our daily dependence on God. But on the sixth day, 
Go get two days' worth. Bake and boil what you need today. Lay up tomorrow. And God is going to miraculously preserve it. Says then uh, Moses said, "Eat today, for today this is the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none." Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, "How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws?" See, open your eyes, understand, know, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. We're going to pick out just like major theme as we go through a few passages here in Exodus. The emphasis of what's going on in this chapter and chapter 16, God is testing his kids. He's just delivered, redeemed them from their slavery. He's just made known to them who he is as God, as redeemer. And as now they're coming out and as they're following and God has performed all of these miracles, God needs to work the world out of them, what they've learned in Egypt. And he is giving them commands, instruction, laws is what is being provided. How long, God is saying, how long will you not listen to me and not obey me? So as a father is instructing his children, he gives the instruction. Then he gives the test. You didn't do well the first time. Here's the correction. Do better next time. This is what we are watching in this first foundational statement in regards to here is what God is commanding the nation of Israel to participate in as they are following him through the wilderness. Hold on to that, because that's going to come back up. Flip to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, this is the God speaking the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. All of this... All of these subjects, they're all tied together. You shall have no other gods before me. No other worship of a god. No, the Verse 4, you shall not make of yourself a carved image. No idolatry is all the image that he's getting to. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That idea is you're... You know who your God is, and you are speaking that you have a relationship with him. That relationship is not to be empty. That's what vainness means, is emptiness. There's to be weight and meaning in that relationship with God. Verse 8 is where we're getting to. Remember, so in chapter 16, the idea, the major idea is it's a test. Here the idea is there's a remembrance that's associated with the Sabbath day. Remember this day, the seventh day. Keep it holy, separate, distinct. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son. So just, I mean, God's got to deal with us directly because we try and wiggle our way out of obeying him in any way that we can. So God starts listing out very specifically. You can't work today, but when you think, God's saying that you can't work. You think that you can force somebody else to do your work for you on that day. 
God's listing it all out. You can't do that. Your son can't work. Your daughters can't work. Your male servants, your female servants, your animals can't work. The stranger that's in your gate, so you can't use a foreigner that's a non-Jew, doesn't believe in your God to do your work on this day. No work. No way around this. For in six days, linking it back to creation, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. One of the ten. We have no prob- problem following and believing in the others. So what's up with this one day that we choose not to follow in our relationship with Jesus? We'll get to that in just a minute. Turn to Genesis 23. Not only is the Sabbath day associated with a week in seven days... Seven years takes on meaning, and a group of seven seven years takes on meaning in the Old Testament, too, with Jubilee. Six years, this is Exodus 23.10. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and be fallow, that the poor of your land may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do... Uh, In like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days, you shall do your work. Uh, But on the seventh day, you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that your son, uh, the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And this is this idea, too. This, This word for refreshed, it means to breathe deeply. So again, as as God is giving the instruction of what this day is to be for the Jews, remember God as your creator. Remember God as your redeemer. Life is not all about what you produce, what you do, and what you make. Every seventh day in your life, set it apart for service to the Lord so that you can cease your normal activity And make sure that you're pressing into a regular relationship with the Lord so that you can so that you can be refreshed, so that you can remember, so that you can pass the test that He brings about in our life, in our life circumstances. Next and last one is Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verse 12, says very specifically, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel. Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign. It's a distinguishing mark, a distinguishing day, a distinguishing activity between me and you, Throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. you know, sit in this in relationship with the nation of Israel. Sit in this in the context of which God is speaking these words. They're 90 days out of Egypt. They're 90 days out of their slavery. And God wants this routine pattern in their culture. Not just in their religious life, but in their cultural life as the children of God. 
so that they will not forget who their creator is, so that they will not forget him as redeemer. You need to remember this. This is a sign so that you would know that I am Yahweh. I am the one who sets you apart. I'm the one who makes you not common, but makes you holy. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days. But the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested. Remember, he ceased, he stopped, and he breathed deeply. Is God serious about this day for the nation of Israel? Here's the thing with the Sabbath day. In all of its regulations and all of its laws, everything that you need to do to be obedient to God in this day, it is impossible for us to keep today. So therefore, every single one of us is in disobedience to this. Today is not the Sabbath day. Today is Sunday. Today is the first day of the week. Today is the day of the Lord. We celebrate the resurrection. This is why the church meets on Saturdays. Jews still meet on Saturdays, which is the seventh day. It is the Sabbath day. When you sit with the Jews today, there's there's a list of 39 different categories of everything that you need to do to be obedient to God in regards to that rule book. Every single one of us broke every single one of those rules yesterday. If you drove in a car yesterday, you broke the Sabbath. If you turned on the light switch, you broke the Sabbath. If you touched your phone, if you turned on the radio, if you turned on the TV, all of that's associated with not kindling a fire. There's all of these rules. There's all of these regulations. Now, God did not give this day for it to be a burden. He gave this day for the Jews to be separate and distinct from all peoples to image him to all peoples, to witness him to all peoples. And in the Sabbath day, it is a complete and total act of faith. God, I trust you. There's always work to be done. We always feel like we need to do work. And if I just keep working and producing, I'm going to miss out on what is real and right in life, which is my relationship with him. It's my relationship with others. And this is why it's to be a feast. It's to be a celebration. It's to be a family celebration. It's to be a community celebration as the 
community gathers together to worship and celebrate. This was to be a distinguishing feature again in regards to the nation of Israel in comparison to all the other peoples. There are very specific sacrifices that were to occur on this day and very, again, very specific procedures that were not just during the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, but throughout all of their days. The Jews themselves were not obedient to this day. The Jews themselves got sick of this day because it took on tradition and meeting. And when's the Sabbath day going to be over so we can get back to our regular work of doing business? All of these emotions come with it. But in this last thing that I want you to see, flip over to verse 33. The nation has just sins. They made themselves an idol. They're sitting in the consequences of it. Moses has interceded on behalf of the people. Moses is crying out to God. God, you've said that you know me by name. This is in verse 12. You know me by name, that I have found uh, grace in your sight. Now for I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your your way, Lord. I I need to know you. You've told me I found grace in your sight, Lord. I need to find grace in your sight even more so. Consider, consider, Lord, that this nation, these are your people. And again, they're, they're sitting in this position of disobedience. And God gives us promise. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This whole idea of this Sabbath rest, this Sabbath ceasing, this Sabbath intermission is the idea of the rest that we find from the presence of God, from the presence of God as our creator, from the presence of God as our savior. Turn to Hebrews chapter four and we'll press into the New Testament, or Hebrews three rather, the New Testament context. In this language in the New Testament, you watch Jesus pick on the Jews multiple times in his ministry by doing things on the Sabbath day that break their religious and cultural traditions. And Jesus gets in all kinds of trouble in these scenarios. And one of the passages, Jesus very specifically teaches, he says, man was not made for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for you. God gave it to you as his creatures in imaging him and in relationship with him, because this is the day that he set apart as creator to participate in relationship with him. This day is not for a bunch of rules. It's not for you to submit to. This day was given to you as a gift to find your rest in me. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The imagery of Hebrews is awesome. Because throughout Hebrews, we are given here all of the Old Testament ordinances and rituals and practices in the law that God gave that are right. They are patterns of what is true. And even in the Sabbath day that was given, it was a pattern to, for the nation of Israel to know and understand of the true rest that we find in God and God alone. In Hebrews, it goes through... All these different reasons why Jesus is better and more awesome. Um, We are going to pick this up. 
because we're running out of time, jump to verse 7. This is quoting out of the Old Testament, Psalm 95. It says, therefore, the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion is uh, Numbers 14 specifically. When God is bringing the Jews, he has sent the spies into the promised land. When they enter, in, enter into the promised land, it is to be a place of rest. In that, the witnesses, the spies come back and give this wicked testimony of we can't do it. God is going to kill us. There's giants in the land and their hearts were hard. This is that language. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So again, being defined, God's rest is being defined as him bringing his people into the land that he Promised That generation, except Caleb and Joshua, those that were 20 years older and older, all died in the wilderness. They did not enter his rest. And then writer of Hebrews says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. All of this instruction for us as believers in Jesus today, using these Old Testament examples to encourage us to continue on in this daily, moment-by-moment relationship. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confession steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, beginning in chapter 4, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, it didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although... The works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, it remains that some must enter it. 
to those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designated a certain day in David. So David's generations later saying today, after such a long time, as it had been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, this whole idea in the book of Joshua, when they enter into the promised land, Land needed to be conquered. After the conquering, there should have been rest in the land. Clearly, there was not rest. So this is that question. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest. And this is the, a Sabbath rest is the Greek for the people of God. And this is not just for the Jew. This is for the Jew and the Gentile alike. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. And the whole idea is that Jesus is better. If you want to obey the Old Testament Sabbath, you got to obey it all to the letter. And not just the Sabbath, but all of the law if you want to find life and rest in it. We are pointed to Jesus as the fulfillment of rest. And that rest is not just the seventh day. It is today. Every day that is today is a Sabbath rest in Jesus. And that's what verse 17 is conveying. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, it's living it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that's piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, seeing then that we have such a great high priest in Jesus who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize uh, with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All of chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews is running through this argument that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament. That if you want to participate into the cultural traditions that are associated with the Sabbath, you have all the freedom in your relationship with God to do that or not do it. Worship team, come on up. There's a few more verses that I'm going to list here. I know that this is a heavy Bible study. I know that this has been like skipping along the surface. But we're getting to the weight and the emphasis. What does this mean for us today? What does this day mean in, in regards to God as creator, in regards to God as redeemer? What does this mean for the nation of Israel? What does this mean for us today as followers of Jesus Christ? As followers of Jesus, Paul to the Colossians in chapter 2 tells us, Let no one judge you in food or in drink. Again, this is dealing with the dietary laws of the Old Testament or regarding a festival, a feast that we've been talking about or a new moon or Sabbath. 
Listen, in the New Testament, let nobody judge you in regards to your behavior on the Sabbath day because Jesus is the fulfillment of it. These things are a shadow of the things to come. The substance is Jesus. Hebrews 10, for the law, it's just a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things that can never Uh, With these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year after year, daily after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, none of these things can make us who approach God perfect, but Jesus can. In Galatians, we are told not to press into the old signs, the sign of circumcision, the sign of Sabbath. There are many others. But then indeed, when uh, you did not know God, you served those things which uh, by nature are not God, so in your idolatry. But now, now that you have faith in Christ, now after you have known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, Sabbath days, and months, and seasons, and years. Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain, in emptiness. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the old. In his coming and what he has done, we are in the new. And in the new, the Old Testament law, it is all fulfilled in him. And we are following him according to his commands. Last one in Romans 14. This is great for all of us. Who are we to judge another man's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls indeed. He will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day over another, and another esteems every day alike. If you want to have a Sabbath, if you want to have a day where you're fulfilling these cultural traditions set apart and devoted to the Lord in you, in your family, in your household, in your worship community, you have that freedom. Do it for the Lord. If it's for any other reason, check your heart. But if you don't want to do it, if you think that every day is your Sabbath rest in the Lord, which as I feel, today is just as much a Sabbath for me as yesterday was and tomorrow will be. Jesus is my rest. We are not to judge one another in these things. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, To the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives God thanks. So in all of this, there's a lot of unrest in life. There can be a lot of unrest in religion. This all points back to Jesus. He is our everything. He is our creator. He's our redeemer. He is our Sabbath rest. And we are routinely, as often as he comes to remembrance, to cease, to stop. You're not working for your salvation. What you think you're producing in this life, it's him, the one, he's the one that's producing it through us. We press into that relationship with him and regardless of what the circumstances look like, it could be chaotic out here, but he and he alone is our Sabbath rest and he is awesome. All right, that's all I got to say about that.